You're live, Dick. Thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Cochlear Limited HY23 Results Analyst and Media Briefing. All participants are in listen-only mode. There will be a presentation followed by a question and answer session. If you wish to ask a question, you will need to press the star key followed by the number one on your telephone key. I would now like to hand the conference over to Mr. Dig Howard, CEO and President. Please go ahead. Thank you and good morning, everyone. Thank you for uh, joining us uh, for our results update. Uh, so let's get uh, straight into the presentation. Um, and as always, we start with our, our mission. Our mission, as always, guides what we do. It guides our strategy and uh, been particularly important over the last uh, three years as we've navigated the various challenges that the world has thrown up. Uh, but let's move into uh, let's move into our results. Uh, I'm certainly quite pleased with uh, the results that we got in the last six months, uh, that the, the sales revenue up 9%, up 7% in constant currency and a pretty strong performance across each of the revenue lines, and we'll talk about that uh, in a minute. Uh, the underlying net profit is obviously down uh, 6%, 10%, 6% in constant currencies, and there's really two, two factors driving that. One is the increase in cloud computing expenses, which we... Um, had talked about, and the second one that was the um, higher than expected profit in the first half of last year on the back of sales growth, and then us not uh, increasing our investment at that rate through the through the first half. Uh, but overall, we're in a strong financial uh, position in terms of the the balance sheet, uh, able to maintain a dividend the same as last year. And Stu will talk more to those as we go in, and I will also um, finish up with uh, with the outlook with us maintaining uh, the guidance we set at the start of the year. Uh, but now let's look into each of the revenue lines, starting with cochlear implants. So we saw um, good growth across developed markets and emerging markets in the last half with the 14% unit growth across, uh, in total, uh, with just more than 10% in developed markets and approximately 20% in emerging markets. Now in, in developed markets, uh, we saw strong growth uh, in the US, uh, and Australia particularly, and that's uh, that, that's very pleasing given the constraints we've seen in those markets and the investments that we've been making to uh, to drive growth. It's good to certainly see that uh, that growth come through, uh, and also Western Europe, uh, some good momentum in Western Europe coming coming out of uh, out of COVID. And the nucleus eight processor has been important uh, in that, albeit late in the. Coming out late in the half, um, we think the share has lifted uh, slightly as a result of Nucleus 8, but clearly most of that growth in developed market is actually the market, uh, the market growing. Um, and then in emerging markets with the uh, 20%, and we said, uh, we said going in, uh, in COVID that one of the big impacts was that governments withdrew um, their funding for tenders in that market. The private pay markets continued reasonably well through COVID, but governments withdrew uh, the lower price tender funding. We've seen that come back uh, over the over the last 12 months, and particularly the last six months, and that has driven the increase in emerging markets. Um, I want to talk now to the the obvious gap between the 14% growth in units and the 9% growth in revenue in constant currency. And there's, there's three points I want to make there. Um, they they are um, first of all is that our developed market pricing is uh, is been flat, uh, so there's no change there. So what what has happened? It's in part a mix issue. Um, 
and that is the great extra growth in emerging markets relative to developed and that growth in emerging markets being the lower price tenders has, has had some impact. But actually, the, the most significant impact um, was the technology exchange programs that we ran in a few countries on the back of the Nucleus 8 launch. Uh, and what that means is that we, we ship an implant system, and for in certain countries, we allow people that might have shipped with a Nucleus 7 to swap their Nucleus 7 for a Nucleus 8. Now, in that case, we don't recognise the revenue on the sound processor until people have had that opportunity to swap. So if you look into the balance sheet and see deferred revenue, you'll see the deferred revenue grew in the half um, at a much faster rate than it's, than it's growing, um, would typically grow half on half. That's a result of the technology exchange program, and obviously that revenue comes through. Uh, we expect that uh, deferred revenue to come through in this half. So that's uh, that's why that gap between the 14% and the, the 9%. Let's move on to services. So services were flat. Um, that's, uh, you know, we, we expected services not to grow uh, in the half with the announcement of Nucleus 8 in August and then availability later in the half. Uh, obviously, some people held back on uh, on an upgrade until that was available. So we did see a strong lift in upgrades uh, late in the half. Um, but yeah, I think but still very pleased with that performance, particularly given the strength of first half 22. And you can see that in the chart, the first half of 22 was also a strong performance for upgrades, um, and particularly that being late in the, in the cycle for Nucleus 7, so to match that again this half, uh, I think just shows that the important, the, the, the thing we talk about most in services and upgrades is that this growing installed base is the most uh, critical element to, um, to driving growth over time, and, and certainly having Nucleus 8 um, now out there and, and very well received and the, the, the features and functionality of Nucleus 8 uh, stand out, and we're getting that feedback. Uh, we think that will continue to support both uh, CI systems, but also uh, services over over the cycle. And then on to acoustics. Uh, so acoustics, 70% growth in constant currency, another strong half. We, you know, we really got some tailwinds uh, in acoustics. One of those is that acoustics was more impacted by COVID, so part of this is uh, the ongoing bounce back. The other two items which uh, are very important here is OSIA. Uh, that the rollout of OSIA continues. We continue to be make sure that um, we do the work country by country to get appropriate and suitable reimbursement for OSIA. As we do that and as we roll out into a country, we see pretty quickly a transition from uh, passive acoustics, as so Baja, through to active acoustics, which is OSIA. And we expect that transition from passive to active to continue um, country by country. Uh, around the world, uh, but also uh, supporting the acoustic sales is the Baja 6 Max. Uh, there is a significant base of uh, people with a, a Baja implant and they are upgrading um, from a Baja 5 to a Baja 6. So we've really got the, the COVID rebound, the rollout of OSIA and Baja 6 Max um, to, the, to the existing recipient base driving acoustics. So we do expect, as we've talked about acoustics, to continuing to grow well over time, um, albeit it may not be linear growth, uh, just given timing of country country uh, rollouts uh, and launches, but do have confidence in acoustics over time. Okay, so with that, I'm going to hand over to Stu to talk through the, the P&L and the balance sheet. 
Fantastic. Thanks, Dig. Uh, morning, everybody. Uh, Dig's already spoken about uh, the strong sales line, so I won't add anything to that. Uh, if I jump down to the next line, gross margin, um, very happy to see that staying at 75%. Um, that's a testament to the procurement and manufacturing uh, guys continuing to do a great job, um, both uh, buying well uh, and manufacturing efficiently, and we expect to stay in that range uh, for the full year. We do anticipate about a half a percent headwind in 24 uh, as Chengdu starts to go online. Uh, you'll see a pretty significant jump, uh, 19% lift in that selling marketing and general expenses. A um, couple of comments on that. First off, that's all investment in growth. So that's things like standard of care, trying to drive people through the funnel, create, create uh, a, a bigger pipeline in the future. Uh, it's also a function of coming off a very low base in 22. Uh, so in 22, we weren't confident that the, that the market was really opening up and capacity was there. And so we held held back on OPEX in half one. So we're cycling a very low number. Um, if you look at it relative to uh, half two of 22, we're only up about, I think, with three or four uh, percent. And there's also some innate launch costs in there as well. On the R&D side, we always aim for about 12 percent of revenue. We're slightly under that for the first half, again, on track to be at 12 uh, for the full year. The growth and admin expenses X Cloud. It's really two things. We expanded the STI program, uh, the um, short-term incentive program, to uh, lower-level employees in the company, uh, and we're also starting to see some Oticon transaction costs flow through that line as well. Uh, and on the cloud investment, very much where we anticipated to be, uh, as we've said uh, numerous times, we're in a four- to five-year journey, 100 to 150 mil in total. We think that spending is going to peak uh, this year and into next year, uh, and we're very much uh, where we'd expect to be, about 12 mil up on last year uh, and 17 for the half. Um, if we go on to the balance sheet, next slide. Uh, biggest change here is the movement in working capital, uh, and it's really all in those first three lines. Receivables are up. We've sold a lot more, and actually quite a lot of that back-ended in the half. N8 launched very late in the half, but again, receivables up for the right reason, we're selling more. Uh, inventory up a small amount, the 15.5. That's really, again, a function of continuing to opportunistically uh, take advantage of um, the chance to buy more raw, raw material and componentry to secure supply, and also holding slightly higher stocks uh, ahead of N8 launch. Uh, and then payables, really just timing of, of major payments flowing through at the end of uh, the calendar year, um, really nothing uh, nothing to affect the underlying um, sort of structure of the P&L there at all. That's purely a timing impact. Uh, if we go on to cash flow, uh, so the EBIT resolve, uh, down, but really a function of, of, of as Digger's flag, two things there. The, the increased cloud spend, so the 17 mil up 12 mil on last year, uh, half on half. And also we were, we had an abnormally high EBIT result, uh, and an impact result in half one last year where revenue came back faster than expenses. Um, but very happy with the, uh, the EBIT result and probably more, um, more of a normal, more balanced half one, half two picture relative to last year where it was very heavily skewed. Um, uh, and the other, only other thing to call out there is just that net uh, change in the investments line, the 17.9 down. That's a combination of us uh, putting in. Oh, sorry, that's, that's uh, the investment going into Precisis. Um, 
Uh, and then on to the dividend. So a couple of things here. First off, dividend, $1.55 flat on last year. Uh, we're 72% of NPAT uh, and on track for the long-term guidance of 70% payout for the full year. Again, when we think about the, the delta from last year, we had a, a much bigger a half one impact last year, um, and that's why that payout ratio is is different. Um, of the dollar fifty five, thirty five percent is going to be franked, uh, and again, we'd expect that amount to grow uh, at the full year and and into next year. And again, that's a function of uh, those losses from our twenty flowing through and impacting our ability to to pay the the fully franked dividend. Uh, the other significant news is we will be doing an on market share buyback. Uh, we've been looking at this for a couple of years now. We raised capital um, at the beginning of COVID uh, to, re- to really secure the company uh, in the face of significant uncertainty. We can see that uncertainty reducing. It's not zero. Um, as we, we don't want to reduce it all at once. And we also think doing that would not be in the best interests of long-term shareholders. Uh, so what we'll be doing is looking to aim at a, a set point of net cash of about plus 200. Uh, and to get to that point over time, uh, and so certainly over, over, over a number of years, uh, we will reaffirm that set point and the amount we tend, intend to spend every year. Uh, and for the next 12 months, we'll be aiming to spend up to 75 million uh, buying back shares with that uh, long-term set point of, as I said, 200 net cash, um, and uh, and maintain that 70% dividend payout ratio. So with that, I'll hand you back to Dig to talk through the outlook. Thanks, Steve. So um, before I get into the outlook, I think the important thing is our um, coming through the last through three years or so is our long-term strategy is absolutely intact. The demand for the need for our products is, is very clear. If anything, there is heightened awareness of hearing loss and the importance of treating hearing loss. The work that we've been doing uh, on our product portfolio to strengthen our competitive position is coming through, and Nucleus 8 is uh, another example of that, as is uh, as is Ossia. Um, the investments in market growth uh, have continued through the last few years, and that's certainly part uh, underpinning the growth that we've seen over the last six months. Uh, so our strategy intact, and we're committed to continue to invest as much as we can, uh, within the guidelines we set for our uh, for our P&L uh, to drive future growth and maintain technology leadership and use that technology to facilitate growth uh, as well. So as we look into uh, into the second half, we anticipate uh, continued good sales revenue, good growth, uh, getting that underlying net profit margin back to 18% um, through this half from uh, from Saturday in the first half. Uh, we do expect uh, the rollout of Nucleus 8 to continue to go well. We had very strong feedback uh, from our recipients um, but on all of the key dimensions. It's um, the smallest processor on the market by uh, by a long way. We were already there, and now we have an even smaller one. Um, it's got, um, with Bluetooth uh, LE audio, it has next-generation connectivity, and the, the opportunity for that will grow over time as uh, more connecting devices adopt this new standard. And with the signal processing um, being better adapted to suppressing background noise, uh, to adapting to people's environment more, more seamlessly, making it easier to live with uh, 
um, and get best hearing outcomes for uh, for our recipients. So a very strong product. Um, we do still see that uh, you know, we we said at the start of the year that we thought um, the market would continue to improve. We thought that there would be an opening up in uh, surgical capacity that we'd seen in the uh, the last half of 22. We certainly see that continue. Um, however, I think the, there are still uncertainty and there's still clouds out there. Um, while staffing has improved in hospitals, there are still um, backlogs of surgeries in most major markets. Um, we've seen increased risk of um, nursing strikes in uh, certainly through parts of Western Europe. Um, so while while it's great to see the reopening, um, we are still a little bit cautious on uh, on the outlook. Similarly, on supply chain, things have improved. Uh, definitely, but um, there is not the free flow of goods that we saw three years ago. It's better than it was 18 months ago, um, but still some supply chain constraints. Uh, and also in the labour market, again, um, you know, the, the rate at which people are changing jobs, we've seen that come off around the world um, over the last uh, six months particularly, um, but it's still elevated, and therefore there's still some pressure on uh, on on wages. So Definitely some improvement, but still some uncertainty uh, out there. And so we remain a little bit cautious, albeit the business is in a very strong position and we have uh, underlying momentum uh, in the sales. So we will keep investing in our strategy. Uh, we will continue, as few said, to invest in the, in the cloud computing um, through uh, through this year and into the, over the next few years. Our CapEx is broadly in line uh, with normal and the dividend policy will stay at uh, at 70%, and uh, we're not, um, don't have anything, don't assume closing of the Oticon medical acquisition in, in this half in our uh, in our guidance. Okay, so with that, we'll um, open up for questions. If you wish to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. If you wish to cancel your request, please press star 2. If you are on a speakerphone, please pick up the handset to ask your question. Your first question comes from David Lowe with J.P. Morgan. Can I just start with the, the buyback and the so use of the word progressive? Uh, yeah, David, good, good, good to hear you. So, um, look, we set up to 75 million um, through this first year. Um, you know, and, and as you said, this will happen. We, our intention is for this to span um, several years, and therefore, you know, you'd think we'd keep buying um, with some variability in the in the share price, but obviously, with you know, within reason. Yes. Yeah. No, no, that that that's that's a that's a good interpretation.
yeah, look, if... Um, if the sales come in higher than we expect, we we would look to invest. Yes, yeah, we we you know the way we look at this the investment we're making, particularly in growth, is there's a weight of money that is needed to raise awareness to build the clinical evidence, um, and so sort of the faster we can get that in, the better the better we do. Uh, again, you know, within the constraints of our ability to manage the scope of what we we take on, um, and the PNL of the business to you know stay broadly within the guidelines that we that we set. Thanks, David. Yeah, um, Andrew, so thanks for the question. So in, look, in emerging markets, the, the pricing is down a bit because it's the lower price tenders where that volume has come back. So if you looked at our ASP in emerging markets, it's come off a bit. Um, the point I was making in developed markets, pricing is flat. With uh, with Nucleus 8, we do have some opportunity to um, increase the um, pricing in a few places. And um, so we, you know, we'll take that, but the, it's really, you know, that, that gap is largely the, between the 14 and the 9% is deferred revenue. So hope that answers your question. And I think some people are having trouble hearing uh, the question, so we'll repeat the question just to make sure that um, they come through clearly. Sorry, Andrew. Yeah, expect most most of that to to come come back. So about you know, probably fifteen twenty million or something in there that um, is up on the last half that we'd expect to come through. I we would expect that. I think to answer your question, we'd expect that revenue to come through in the second half. Across the. Thanks, Andrew.
Yeah, it's it's um it's hard to certainly we thought we're pleased with the growth we saw in the US state. Um and there's always a number of factors that that drive growth. Uh, the opening up of indications is, is we're certainly hearing people talk about it in, in clinics and, and surgeons talk about it. So there's definitely an awareness. It's probably helping some people come through. The thing, the thing we've said in, uh, in the past and stick by is this is something that will have an impact over time. Um, because people do need to move through, you know, it's really back at the early referral stage that gets people to, uh, into the channel and then there's assessment times and so on before they, uh, before they get to surgery. Um, so it's certainly part of the, the growth and we'd expect a bigger impact over time from that, uh, you know, the CMS change. Certainly, uh, what, what we're seeing on the single-sided deafness is that's, uh, we're seeing more people come through there, you know, and that's, that change is a little bit, uh, older. Uh, no, so we 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 um yeah the and the and the question was for all the folks on the line because we know there might be some technical issues. Will we quote what the U.S. growth rate is? I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, thanks to you, I said I'd do that, and then I didn't. I was too keen to answer the question, or not, or actually not answer the question. <laughs> uh, no, is <laughs> that you know, one more than ten uh, percent in, um, in in developed markets? You know, I think that's sort of sufficient information. Um, you know, there's always a line here of our competitors would like uh, some of this information is more valuable to our competitors than it is to uh, uh, investors in granular detail. Uh, yeah, so the, the question is, will we return to our um, target 18% margin pre-cloud in the half or over the year? It will be over the year. Yes, uh, sure. The question was on the Chengdu expenses, and it was regarding the COGS, uh, the gross margin percentage. So we're at 75 for the half. That's in line with long-term target. Uh, we anticipate staying there for the for the second half of the year, and obviously then being there for the for the for the full year um, into 24. We can see about a half a percent uh, potential headwind um, uh, from Chengdu costs as that plant comes online. Thanks, Dave. Okay. Yeah, Gretel, thanks. So the question is, um, on acoustics growth and what uh, that is driven by Baja and what's driven by um, um, OSEA and, and where are we up to in the, the OSEA rollout. Um, so now we don't we don't split that out, but obviously we get a 20% growth. Both Baja and OSEA are growing uh, growing strongly. So both uh, both of those continue to grow strongly. Um, you know, looking forward, we expect OSEA to continue to grow strongly. 
given that in, in Baja there are upgrades um, driving that, obviously over time we'd expect that upgrade growth to moderate a bit just as people in the installed base um, get access. In terms of Ossia, uh, the rollout now, we're in, uh, we've been in the US for a few years now and continue to see strong performance. Um, we've launched in the UK and seen a, a quite a rapid shift in many clinics uh, from Baja to Ossia. Launched in Australia uh, and uh, seeing a lift in acoustics revenue there. Uh, we've also launched in Germany, which has never been a particularly strong acoustics market. Uh, and so we're seeing some growth there, but we know it will take time because we're actually developing the, the, the market as we as we go. Um, and strong growth uh, in Latin America for OSEA, uh, where we've uh, able to get approval and get access uh, relatively early on, um, and that's growing strongly. So they're the, they're the major parts of the world. We have other countries, but they're the ones where we've um, up and running. Obviously, that's still quite a bit of Western Europe where we're seeking appropriate reimbursement, uh, and that will take some some time and some work to do, and then uh, outside Australia, across the major markets through uh, Asia-Pacific region, again, big potential, um, but will take us some time to get the approvals and the, the reimbursement in place. Yeah, thanks, Gretel. So questions on Oticon Medical and where, where are we up to and, and um, you know, how, how is that progressing with the regulatory authorities? Uh, so so we, we remain confident that um, we'll, we'll get the acquisition through. Um, you know, the, the key thing here is that, that competition authorities understandably don't, um, don't have knowledge and background in the hearing implant market, so we need to explain the market. Um, and, you know, fundamentally, this... If you look at how low the penetration is for cochlear implants uh, for people in indications and the same for acoustic implants, I think the, the main issue here is these markets actually don't work in the sense of people are not directed to the best um, solution for them given, given their hearing loss. That's why we're investing in growth is to make this market work. Um, the, per, yeah, the benefit of the acquisition for us is really the... Uh, in, on the acoustic side is to have more scale and be able to invest in that greater awareness and clinical evidence so that we can see acoustic implants um, compete with reconstructive surgery and hearing aids um, at the level at a, at a at a much greater level rather than having just 2% of the potential market. So that takes a bit to, to explain and to take the, the regulators through. I think the other important piece of this on the acoustic side is this rapid shift from passive to active, from Baja to uh, to Ossia, um, and that, you know, given the performance improvement, the technology improvement is an important shift in the market, which really does open up the opportunity for, uh, for more growth. Um, so we're working with the uh, competition regulators uh, in the UK, in Europe, and and in Australia to um, you know, work through their their questions and the detailed understanding of the, the markets. And we remain confident that uh, um, we hope that, that we th we think the approval should come through late in this uh, in half. Thanks, Greta.
Um, look, uh, uh, um, a couple of things. One, the gross margin across different product. So, the question was on gross margin and why it hasn't changed given the um, uh, the the mix change. Um, and it's really a function of two things. One, or three actually. One, the, the gross margin across different product lines is 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 pretty similar. Two, um, to the extent there's been a negative mix shift, it's it's offset by increases in volume. Uh, and three, some uh, continued genuinely impressive work by the procurement team and the manufacturing team to buy buy efficiently and, and manufacture even more efficiently. Uh, look, uh, if, if if I could confidently predict rates, I'd, uh, I wouldn't be sitting here. Um, uh, sorry, sorry. Question was: uh, Do we have a, uh, a, a guidance for other income line for the second half? Um, uh, I think no is the short short answer. Um, uh, there's a there's a bunch of factors in there. FX being a, a significant one, uh, and it's one of many things that we, we, we're trying to juggle to to, to land. Uh, the result for the full year, and 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 so that's why we stay focused on that headline guidance. You know, going the top line of 10, 12 into R and D, 25 into Cogs, uh, and dropping 18 post cloud out the bottom. Yeah, Sean. Uh, first of all, we're, uh, we're both well, thank you. Um, and so the question is on uh, Chengdu, and so how do we see the, the future of that factory in terms of the products and pricing and its importance in the in the China market? Um, so we start with, yeah, the, the, the factory is uh, strategically important for us in China. That's why we've, we've put the investment in. We, we There's obviously very significant long-run growth potential in China. It's already the second largest uh, market by volume for in the world for cochlear implants, uh, and that's with the, the market being largely children, so enormous potential for, for adults over time. You know, we built this factory with a you know, really a, at least a 30-year forward view of uh, what, this, what the market could be. Uh, so we built it um, with, with significant capacity, um, to supply China and potentially supply some other markets. We'll start uh, in, a, in a small way, um, so over the next 12 and 18 months, um, and as we get uh, approval for our products, and it will be, so we've got, um, we have now approval for the, the CP802, which is a, um, a older generation sound processor. We'll start there. Uh, we, we're aiming to get implant approvals in about the next 18, over the next 18 months. Um, so we'll start carefully. You know, maintaining quality is the most critical thing as we, as we ramp up, um, 
this factory. Um, so we will we'll be very vigilant. And as we do that, uh, we do think um, by having a stronger presence in China and by manufacturing in China, we will be well positioned to um, continue to hold a good share but, and also to grow in line with that market. So I'm not going to go beyond detail. I'm not going to go further at this stage into exactly which products. Um, we expect the pricing to, will be at the market for the for the tier of products that we're uh, producing. It's certainly you know, not our intention to try to um, uh, do anything other than meet the meet the market from a from a pricing perspective at this stage. Uh, so yeah, uh, N8 has uh, is rolled out in um, range country, perhaps more than normal for this stage of a launch. So we're available through the US, uh, through Western Europe, uh, in Australia, and that, that's very pleasing. We got a faster approval in Australia than we have had for a number of years, and that's using some new uh, new regulation um, uh, that to, to speed up some approvals for, for low-risk products. So and and parts of Asia Pacific now also getting access to, to nuclear sites. So still early days, but available in a lot of countries. Um, and but in terms of penetration, look, still you know we've only been going a couple of months. So um, lots of opportunity and a long way to go to um, grow the adoption of nuclear site. Obviously, with in new systems in those countries, it's it's available. And then in terms of upgrades. Um, we think we'll you know, continue to drive upgrades as that uh, as our recipient base grows. Dave, thanks for the question. The question is, what um, what do we expect the, on the, the penetration of nucleus aid? And you know, we used to talk about 50-odd percent in developed markets, and should we expect more from nucleus aid? I think the short answer to that is, is it's too early. Um, you know, we're at a couple of percent probably at the moment. Um, as we talked about, we sort of shifted our thinking since since we've launched uh, the Canzo product range and the off-the-year process. So we've shifted our thinking to how what proportion of people upgrade over a cycle to of the people eligible for an upgrade each year, how many of those upgrade? Um, because it's harder to measure a cycle when we've actually got two overlapping cycles with an off the ear and the and the BTE. Um, what 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 we um, you know what we talked about at the at the last result was there were some signs that um, that penetration within the year had lifted slightly and at that stage we weren't sure if that was because of catch up from COVID or um, uh, the work that we're doing to raise awareness on upgrades. Um, and I think we haven't got more clarity on that over the last six months, just given the, 
the, the timing of the Nucleus 8 launch and people holding back. Certainly very pleased with, with where we ended up. Um, but we you know, hope to learn more over the, from the next 12 months as to are we, um, is our work making a difference in terms of upgrade penetration um, versus just the, the increase in the base driving the lift in upgrades. terms of, you know, the losses expected given, you know, what we're seeing in terms of those losses from, from demand reporting and, and simply the investment required. Thank you very much. Yeah, so the question is, what if uh, Oticon acquisition goes ahead, what do we expect to see, uh, given it's a loss-making, uh, loss significant loss-making business, what will be the impact on on us? So i hand over to Stu just to talk about our, our thinking there. Uh, yeah, look, uh, no, no change in thinking uh, at this stage, Dave. Um, uh, we're still looking at the purchase price of 170 and then the restructuring cost that we'd uh, flagged last time around. No, no news on that. And that, and that restructuring was 30 to 60 million, we said. So quite a wide range, um, just because until we actually get the acquisition goes through, we don't get, uh, you know, we only get certain visibility. Um, can I start with um, some of this COVID recovery volumes? Is it no mention of the announcement with acoustics and also with the emerging market? Do you have a sense of how much backlog is left? And also, you didn't mention in the developed market discussion. So does that mean that the backlog um, from COVID is largely cleared in the developed market? Yeah, Leanne, thank, thanks. Uh, so the question is, to what extent are backlogs from COVID both still there and and driving sales? Because we, we certainly did mention it on acoustics and on emerging markets. Um, and then what about developed markets? So let's start with emerging markets and cochlear implants. There it wasn't, it wasn't so much a, a backlog as the government's withdrew funding and now they're putting that funding back in place. Um, so, so I suppose to some degree, yes, there, there have been children born over the last few years who didn't get access to um, those tenders because the tenders weren't there, or the volume from those tenders who are now getting access. Um, but I wouldn't think of that in terms of a backlog because the limiting, the rate limiting factor there is the government funding. So, so in a sense, yes, there are more children out there, as there always are in emerging countries who, who would benefit from an implant who don't get access. What, what limits access is how much government's money put in. So... The rate at which we'll see growth there will depend on the rate at which governments, um, at least in that tender part, increase their uh, their funding. Uh, in acoustics, yeah, and acoustics there, I, I think we don't. Um, it was an explanation of you know we look at that growth over the last 18 months is pretty impressive, um, and what I was saying there is part of that growth is because that the acoustics volume fell so much as a result of COVID, so. Uh, again, it's not so much backlogs now other than if you look back over 18 months, it was a very depressed figure, which, you know, we had a 40% growth and now we're at 20%. We expect that sort of those sort of growth rates to moderate a little bit, um, but not so, it's not really caused by backlog now, more by how depressed it was earlier on. Uh, and then in developed markets, um, yeah, the, the issue is not COVID now. It's, it is just hospital 
capacity and healthcare systems say, look, you know, in Australia, as an example, there, there's a, a build-up of elective surgeries. People know in the UK, uh, you know, in the NHS, there's a build-up. Um, so it isn't so much that this is demand from COVID. It's more just the demand being generated now uh, in places having to wait longer for surgery than um, was the case pre-COVID. That sort of sort of makes sense. It's hard to separate these things. Um, but we're not so worried about COVID, albeit you know countries like Japan still are still impacted. Um, more about what is actually underlying audiological capacity or hospital surgical capacity, country by country. Million this year by progressive. You um, can you assume that the quantum will be larger as the years progress? Uh, yes, our question was, um, will the quantum of the buyback change as the years progress? Um, uh, we're going to commit to the amount each year, uh, and that's currently in line with ASIC uh, guidelines, and we think it's a prudent thing to do as well. Um, and, and at this stage, we're comfortable saying we want to get there over a, a, a period of multiple years. Um, uh, at this stage, we're looking at you know relatively consistent, um, but we'll reconfirm that amount each year. We will absolutely be doing it over uh, over over numerous years to get there. Uh, certainly at least three to five years. Thanks, Leanne. Your next question comes from Nato Serra with Citigroup. Good morning, Zegan. Uh, Thanks for taking my questions up. This question was on um, China reopening. So the question, thanks for the question. So questions on uh, China and uh, the more recent impact of uh, of COVID cases on the on our sales. Um, and what the answer is, actually, we've seen a, a relatively limited uh, impact. Uh, the the COVID cases certainly surged, uh, you know, very significantly. We saw that with our, with our employees, um, but. In terms of surgeries, they continued pretty strongly most of the most of the way through, and that's what we we continue to see. There's clearly um, still some uncertainty as we as we look forward, uh, and but the performance uh, in China you know, has been pretty strong. And again, remember this is surgeries mostly in children, um, and that you know children do tend to get um, priority access because time is so critical. So the question's on uh, patent dispute between Advanced Bionics and, and Medell and, and did that have an impact on our first half results? So two parts of that one is we don't want to comment on a dispute between them, but in terms of our result, no. We do, don't, there's no impact on our result of that uh, dispute that we could determine. Thank you.
Yeah, David, uh, great question. The question is, um, background of the question is that there is low awareness of uh, cochlear implants and acoustic implants among general audiologists. That's absolutely true. Um, and what are we doing to, to change that? Um, so this is absolutely core to our strategy. Um, the, the, there is for adults um, no clear and consistent clinical path from a hearing aid through to an implanting clinic for both cochlear implants and acoustic implants. If a path can be created, that will be creating that path is the key to our long run growth. Um, so we're doing we're doing several things to invest in that. Uh, we are working directly with consumers. Uh, so that's the, our direct consumer promotion and awareness to raise consumers' awareness of alternatives other than hearing aid for, pe- for people for whom a hearing aid doesn't give them a, a very good outcome. And in several countries, uh, Germany, Australia, US, uh, three standout examples where we're working directly with the hearing aid channel to educate hearing aid audiologists on particularly cochlear implants, um, the indications, uh, the benefits, getting them to see how significant the improvement is for someone who has been on a high-powered hearing aid and then switches to uh, a cochlear implant. Um, and I think there's some, there's some indications that that work on getting referrals from the hearing aid channel is is bearing results. You know, this is we talked about before, this is a very long-term um, program is not something you can just go walk in once and say here's what a cochlear implant does and immediately the audiologist just refers all the people within indications it takes repeated follow-up it takes them to, to see results it also requires evidence and that's why we have um, uh, commissioned a study in the UK to do a head-to-head cochlear implant and high-powered hearing aid uh, study randomized um, uh, sample of people, um, half get hearing aids, half get cochlear implants. They're all bet- between 70 and 80 decibel hearing loss. What we hope that study shows is that cochlear implants are clearly uh, give a clearly much better hearing outcome than do hearing aids. Um, and the other part of this is um, is showing that hearing loss is a serious medical condition, medicalising hearing loss, because it's not seen as a medical condition, uh, a treatable medical condition um, that has consequences beyond hearing loss in many, many places. The work that Frank Lynn is, is doing, uh, Johns Hopkins is leads the world in this, but many others are doing similar work that show that hearing, uh, hearing loss, untreated hearing loss, is correlated with uh, and even causal of other significant medical conditions and that treating hearing loss reduces those conditions that the, I think most highest profile of the studies that Frank Lynn's doing is a study called Achieve, which is taking people, um, large numbers of people with hearing loss. One arm gets hearing aids, the other arm um, gets lifestyle um, counselling and tracking their cognition um, over three years and the, the, um, that study is there to determine actually if treating hearing loss slows the rate of cognitive decline in older people. Um, the first report out of that study uh, should come through this calendar year. Uh, so, you know, they, these are all elements of our strategy. We've got to build the clinical evidence. We've got to build the awareness at the professional level. We've got to build links between hearing aid clinics and cochlear implant clinics so there is a clear path. We've got to close the loop on feedback. 
so that people see, not only just see clinical results, but see real people hearing much better as a result of the implants. And we've got to raise consumer awareness. All of those come under the umbrella of creating standard of care uh, over the long run for adults and seniors in developed markets. And this is core to uh, our, our strategy. And it's the reason why we want to continue to invest as much as we can within the, the guidelines we've set for the PNL, because we do believe it's really weight of money um, over time that, that will allow us to um, build this evidence and awareness and get uh, more consistent and higher volumes of referrals. Uh, so, yes, I'd have the question is where do we think industry growth is now and, and, and as these, um, you know, what do we expect to happen given these are longer run programs? So, certainly, if, you know, if you look at the last half and our 14% growth in, in CI or, you know, where we focus these is on developed markets where we've seen over 10%, uh, we'd say a small part of that, uh, a couple of points of that might is market share, the rest is market growth. Um, you know, that's a six-month growth number, so that it's, it's pleasing to see, but, you know, we will wait to see um, if that sort of growth rate sustains. The thing about these programs is they are incremental. So, so it's, you know, what we, what we hope to see uh, and I think are seeing is that the number of referrals just increases, you know, year on year because of the work that we're doing. I think there's some, some evidence that that's happening, but we want to see a longer-run trend of that. So it's not as though... Um, you know, we do all this investment and then at some point everyone just switches over. It, it, it will be step by step. Um, and, you know, that's what we're seeing and expect to, we expect to see that continue over the very long run. That sort of step by step growth, step by step increase in, in referrals that, you know, underpin our long run growth. So David, questions on what's our market share? Look, you know, we we think we've got about 60% of the the total market in the copper implant side. Then that's just looking narrowly at implants. You know, if you look at that against actually potential, we've got about four or five percent. You know, so the main competition here is hearing aids, high powered hearing aids. That that's really where what we're competing against. Um, and it's the same in acoustics. In acoustics, we're competing with reconstructive surgery and uh, and various forms of um, air conduction and bone conduction um, hearing aids. Next David. Um, so Craig, thank you. Uh, the, the question is, uh, have all emerging markets put their tender funding back in or are some not? Um, and the answer is no, not they haven't all put it in. And, and remember in emerging markets, pre-COVID, we, could, we would see significant variability year on year um, in tender volumes um, to do with a whole range of issues. Could be political, could be economic. Uh, I mean, just to call two obvious ones out at the moment, both Sri Lanka and Pakistan, um, you know, haven't, haven't got fundings at the levels that they have had, uh, previously. So there are many factors that go in, but the, the bigger markets, India, Brazil, um, through parts of the Middle East, there we've seen funding come, come back in and that's what's, uh, helped lead to that about 20% growth in, uh, uh, implants in emerging markets in the half.
Um, so yeah, the question is, you know, what's the opportunity for us to put price increases through, uh, given where in inflation is? Uh, and Craig, it does vary by market. Um, so you know, with you know, with nucleus eight, we we um, put price increases through in markets where we can. So so in some markets, the price is just set by the government. Um, it's set. You know, usually there's a process based on what's the technology. You, if you've got better technology, you can apply for a higher price. We we are exercising that in some places. You may or may not be successful, but it's worth trying. Uh, in others, the market's a bit more. Uh, less rigidly controlled by a government, and therefore there's there's some opportunity in sort of hospital contract negotiations to put price increasing through on the basis of better you know better technology and uh, better patient experience. Um, so where we do have the opportunity, we are we are pushing for price increases, um, but also cognizant that you know many of our markets there is limited uh, capacity. Um, you know, but if you look over time, our, our developed markets pricing has been relatively stable. Um, we do, and we've said this before, we expect uh, pricing pressure um, in in Western Europe, and we've seen some of that over time. So we, you know, when we do see our pricing hold, um, we're pleased about that. And um, you know, if we can get increased, we will. And, and as Stu was talking earlier, the work on you know, driving efficiency through the, the business to maintain that gross margin is, is very important for us. And we've been successful so far, and obviously we intend to continue to uh, maintain that success of holding the gross margin. So the, the question is just on the, the rates we're using in the guidance are a bit different to where we started the year. So we try to use spot rate. We do use spot rates when we put our guidance out. That's why they're different. Um, in terms of quantifying the impact, I think the best way to look at that is just look at our constant currency results for the, for the half. Uh, who knows what the impact will be in the second half? It depends where the... Um, you know where the, where the, the rates actually go. Um, it's been more complicated in the last half because sort of US dollars gone one way and the euro has gone the other way. Um, so it, it's had a sort of a, a mixed impact. Thanks, Greg. Yes, thanks, Dick. And sorry to come back on, but. Um just wondering if you've quantified the amount of transactions associated with the Otacon that you've taken above the line in this half. Yes, Steve, question on, do we quantify the cost with uh, Otacon? Uh, and, the, and the answer is no, we no, we didn't. Um, uh, it's a single digit, uh, low single digit millions. mentioned that that was sales in the latter part of the half. Um, just to sort of um, clarify that a bit further, is it, is it also due to those sales being done to governments and therefore the credit terms are much longer anyway? Uh, sorry, question on the um, receivables uh, uh, growing uh, and, as we said, grew sort of more strongly late in the half on the back of N8 launch. And it is, is it to do with payment terms for governments? Look, um, uh, certainly you know, different customers have different payment terms. Um, 
depends uh, depends on a, on a lot of factors. Uh, we're not seeing that be a significant driver of that number. I guess you know if we look at the underlying components of it, it's really um, two things: one, very strong sales, um, and two, very good collections. Uh, I think the, the one of the unsung heroes through through COVID and through the last couple of years, um, there's a small number of people in each of the regions who are doing a stellar job uh, making sure that the, the, we, we are collecting uh, those uh, the cash for the sales we're making, and, and they are doing that at, at an unprecedentedly good level. Um, so if we look at the receivables, sort of the health of the book, it's very strong. Um, and so it's, it's much more a function of just uh, selling more. And as I said, we, we did see a kick up late in the half on, on the innate launch. Thanks, Stu. Question comes from Shane Conrad's Morningstar. Thanks. Uh, just with the tech exchange program, I want to clarify that you've recorded the implant units in the result, but the revenue is deferred. Is that right? Yeah, Shane. So the question is on the on the technology exchange. What do what do we record in terms of the implant unit and revenue? So we include the uh, yes, we do include the implant unit in that fourteen percent uh, growth. We include the revenue from the implant, but not the revenue from the processor. So in a system, there's a, there's an implant and a processor. Um, we have a we have a split of that allocation, um, and the component that attaches to the processor is deferred. Uh, and that that's, that goes under that deferred revenue account. Uh, so as to being a reason for the discrepancy between the revenue growth and the unit growth, um, it's the main reason. Really yes, the main reason. Yeah, so in a, in a normal normal time, we'll sell a system. Um, for X, um, within that price X, there is some percentage, which is more than half, that is the implant, and there is a, some percentage, which is less than half, which is the processor. Normal time, we include all of X in revenue. Um, when we have a technology exchange, we include the implant component in revenue, and the processor component goes into deferred revenue. And um, as people do the exchange, it comes from deferred revenue into uh, into revenue. So in this half, we will see that uh, deferred revenue come back through the uh, the revenue line. So over the year, I'd expect that you won't see that uh, that difference. Yeah, got it. And thanks. And what's that? Program has been developed or emerging markets? Um, uh, only, only in developed and only in a subset of, of our markets. Okay, that's all I had. Thanks very much. Right, thanks, Sam. Um, okay, just to close up, thank you all for uh, for joining and um, I look forward to uh, seeing you all or talking to you all in six months' time. Thank you. Well, great work today.